0: The real thread, the moral thread that goes through all three books is the human relationship with the earth. Because to me, it's like climate change is only a part of it. There's so many more segments of our relationship with the earth, just simply like pollution. I mean, like these plastics that are all over the place, the air pollution, water pollution, all the stuff that we do as humans to the earth.
1: Are you a founder looking to raise money but struggling to get traction? Investors see hundreds of decks a week, trust me. If your pitch deck isn't hitting home, I've got good news. I've put together a free step-by-step guide with killer examples to create the perfect elevator pitch and pitch deck that VCs can't ignore. You can grab it for free at matward.io elevator if you're in the market for venture dollars and want to make sure you get the meeting. And if you need more help with your delivery or VCs keep passing on your company, I offer one-on-one pitch deck critiques and coaching to help you close your round fast. Just visit mattward.io pitch for more details. I want to take a quick time out to give you guys a personal update. Many of you know I've been working on my dream of becoming a sci-fi author. Well, now I've got a couple sci-fi books and techno thrillers coming out soon. Do you want to help me and join my advanced beta reader team and get free or deeply discounted copies of my upcoming books to review and help me improve the stories? If you're a fan of Michael Crichton, Daniel Suarez, a good dystopian, or epic fantasy, you'll love my writing. If you join and share your feedback, it would mean the world for me and my writing career. Seriously, I'd really appreciate it. If you visit mattward.io slash book and enter your details, then you'll be notified and occasionally selected to pre-read some of my books before everyone else, share your thoughts, work directly with me to help me make the story better, and much more. I want to give you guys an epic thanks for listening to the podcast, especially for folks interested in the books. And again, if you want to get my books before they come out, before anyone, and help me make this writing career a success, please visit mattward.io slash book to join and get your free early copies. And now, let's get on with the program. Welcome to The Disruptors, the podcast about the future of all of us, where we look at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Hear the world's top minds, share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at disruptors.fm. Frosty the Snowman was a jolly happy soul until the sun came out and he melted everywhere. And that's what we're talking about today with K.E. Lanning, the prolific astrophysicist and sci-fi author whose Melt Trilogy series focuses on the dystopian but possible future where the ice shelves on Antarctica melt and the land becomes usable. What would happen and what would be the consequences? I think it's always interesting to explore big picture problems and ideas and iterate on. And that's the role of science fiction, to get us all to think outside the box on what could be, what will be, and help us steer the world towards a better future. In today's episode, we discuss how sci-fi helps humanity cope with and prepare for societal change. What would happen if Antarctica became a land grab? Are we headed towards a world of robotic riots? Why science and art are two sides of the same coin, and how they can come together? And why this will be the century of synthetic biology, regardless of what happens. And now, without further ado, I give you K.E. Lanning.
0: We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard.
1: I want to get into your work, but before we do, can you give me just a quick thirty thousand foot overview? How's an astrophysicist become a sci-fi author?
0: Um, I'm actually a geophysicist
1: a geophysicist of. that's super yeah. embarrassing. I wrote that <laughs> totally okay. wrong in my notes that is, <laughs> we're not we're not looking up we're looking down
0: <laughs> Well, I've always been uh, really interested in science and also in art, which I think is really the Science and art are two sides of the same coin and what we find with those types of people a lot of times is that they are are such a similar personality type. You know, you have a scientist that goes into a lab and then you have a an artist that maybe goes into a um a studio or something like that. And so I've always had those two sides to me and I was very interested in uh, multiple things, you know, besides learning about the sciences also learning about what sort of what, what makes people tick as well. And so um, that's really kind of how I came at this. I have a physics degree. When I was in Texas, I got a physics degree uh, with the geology uh, as a side piece. And, um, and so what, as a geophysicist, my particular area was uh, imaging subsurface of the Earth with uh, seismic data. And but really, for me, I was interested in pushing a little bit more on the art side. And I actually did a lot of photography and I had an art gallery uh, as well. So and I, I read a lot of science fiction and, you know, a lot of you know, Asimov and uh, Arthur C. Clarke, Robert Heinlein. I really liked Robert Heinlein's work. So, you know, I came at this and I Again, the reason I started writing was this sort of idea uh, which a lot of uh, people are interested in is, you know, what if we went to, say, Mars or or the moon? It's sort of the concept of humans escaping, of migrating. Uh, I always thought that was really fascinating. I mean, you think about the whole thing of uh, humans leaving Europe and coming to America. I mean, what a leap that was. And people are just, I mean, they, they've got that, uh, you know, in their bones is that desire to migrate, that desire to find explore. something new, explore. And so that actually was the core of the, um, the books that, that I wrote for the Melt Trilogy. The book in the middle, The Sting of the Bee, has this migration of when you have had this global warming and the ice caps have melted. You have uh, Antarctica that's de-iced and available for uh, homesteading, and I thought, man, what that it's really cool. And I, I've as yet have not heard of anybody using the uh, the de-iced Antarctica as a uh, setting. And I thought, man, that you know, what a place to have something like this homesteading. And I opened it up with a. Oklahoma-style land rush. So, But, you know, I was interested in this uh, escape. That's actually was the the core piece of that book. And then it sort of expanded into more of the political social stuff that uh, what might happen if you had something catastrophic happen, like the uh, melting of the ice caps within one human lifespan.
1: So you sped up the science. It's interesting as well. You brought up the Antarctica thing because we never, we haven't really had new available land on Earth in a exactly. very long time.
0: Exactly. And
1: that is something where you don't have a government with a gun to the head already there.
0: Yes, but one of the things that I was interested in is because Antarctica is all of a sudden this virgin continent. Imagine all of these countries trying to uh, take a, take it over.
1: And corporations.
0: And the minerals, the riches that would be there that in other parts of the world have been mined. So it would be huge for people trying to take over and um, really uh, somehow control what's happening down in Antarctica.
1: So climate change in a generation as opposed to the long term was really the, the genesis right. of the book. Right.
0: I mean, it's basically Squeezing that time frame for dramatic effect, and you know, so it's over, you know, like a hundred years. Um, and the first book starts sort of not at not at the total end of the melting, and uh, that's the spider sat beside her. But it's sort of the start of that uh, series, and then the last book is a um, basically the one of the characters uh, winds up getting sort of shoved into this uh, presidential position, even though he doesn't really want to be. He's not a politician. But I had so I kind of broke it out into uh, over about a 15 year period of of this event toward the end of the melting. So
1: part of the reason I wanted to have you on is I think sci-fi is super important for giving us a glimpse into the future, making it a little more extreme so that we can react in the present better. Yeah, and exactly. I don't know if that was your thought process for the books, if you were trying to inspire more climate change based solutions today. What was what was really what got you to push through for that?
0: Well, it was a, a combination. Like I said, the very beginning was this core of people escaping, people exploring but the, the real thread, the moral thread that goes through all three books is the human relationship with the earth. Because to me, it's like climate change is only a part of it. There's so many more segments of our relationship with the earth, just simply like pollution. I mean, like these plastics that are all over the place, the air pollution, water pollution, all the stuff that we do as humans to the earth. And... One of the things that I was interested in is uh, sort of revealing that, which I know people know, but trying to put it into another idea of what what can we do about that. And one of the reasons I was interested in this de-iced Antarctica as a setting is like here is a new land that we haven't screwed up yet, and what could we do? And this is the the uh, main character who winds up being the president. Uh, His name is John Barris. He decides that he wants to sort of figure out how uh, he can sort of write a new chapter and use Antarctica as an example of what we could do here. And one of the key things that he does is he creates a uh, cabinet position of an environmental uh, minister, basically, uh, where they are the um, basically the voice of the earth so that when they are trying to do stuff, it's like, wait a minute, you know, what about this? You know, can, or can we just you know, take this and maybe shift it a little bit? Because we do have to obviously live, even though one of the other items is in that book and in general is our uh, population. You know, there's so many humans that we almost can't help but to be
1: detrimental to the earth. How many die in your book? So let, let's let, <laughs> let, let's, let's, kind, let's kind of get into some of that. So I I Cut imagine the, you yeah. looked a lot in, a lot into the science of this. What's it look like if we were to accelerate climate change so quickly?
0: Well, there are, you know, like, I, I don't have like a figure of how many, you know, hundred
1: thousands of people. Make a nerdy don't. sci-fi guess.
0: Yeah. Well, hell, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's it would be obviously in the hundreds of thousands, but the, the issue really isn't, you know, are these people going to, you know, uh, uh, drown or something? It's going to be the migrations. And think about the whole thing when you have the Syrian war, you have these migrations going into Europe and that disruption. Can you imagine if all over the world you had a uh, sea level rise of two to three hundred feet, you would have entire countries that would be gone but these people aren't just going to sit there and, and, and drown. They're going to run. And they're going to run to the higher ground. They're going to run to the next country over. And so I have, in the first book, I show uh, scenes. And one of the things that it's it's tricky to do, you, know, you have a uh, character, a main character. And in the case of the first book, uh, it's a woman named Lowry Walker. And she you're so you're showing stuff out of her uh viewpoint and how do you do that you know cuz you got these huge global things that you're trying to show and so one of the things that I did is I have she's and she winds up going onto the space station and she one of the reasons I wanted that as a device is so she is seeing the globe as this is Uh, revolving around the the Earth. And so you can see the global changes and sea level rise, the effects through her eyes as she goes over the Earth. And so one of the things that uh, I did in this is show uh, these scenes on these huge video uh, monitors Okay, these people are are leaving, uh, say, Indonesia and they're running into uh, going into China, say, for example, or uh, parts of India. They're moving into various other uh, places like China and and they're getting uh, killed. They're getting massacred because you you can't have what are you going to do? You know, in in this particular scenario, uh, scenario, Beijing would be underwater. I mean, there would be all these things with people moving around. And the one one of the things that I was interested in is what would happen, which you have all this social chaos. You would have an incredible amount of political manipulation. Because basically your your entire chessboard is being thrown out of the window and you're having all of these things moving around. And you know, you've got a hundred years that it is shifting, but in uh the first book, Spider Sat Beside Her, you have the country of uh, America has merged with Canada, and they've formed a new country called Amarada. And one of the things that the, this, this corrupt administration is in charge, and so they're now doing what, uh, what happened in the West, and they're taking the Inuit land now. And so it kind of goes, I, I was really interested in the sort of political corruption that would be what would occur if you had these global changes that would, again, you're talking about a dramatic squeezing of time. But it's it's kind of shocking, actually. You know, I uh, follow uh, some of the things that are happening on Antarctica and the warming that's that's occurring. And a lot of these things, they are happening faster than what they think. I'm not saying that my book is you know going to happen or anything. I hope to God not.
1: <laughs> I think but, uh, I think every sci-fi writer has that when they write a dystopia is I hope to God <laughs> not. But but there's so much truth in that that hopefully it's helpful.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's um. It's super interesting how you see these major changes happening. I mean, you you created a cabinet position for the voice of the earth, so to speak, and we have Trump right. essentially fighting tooth and nail to get rid of the EPA. You must be mortified.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's it's really terrifying. You know, I mean, he you know the uh, Margaret Atwood, of course, in her Handmaid's Tale. You know, it's almost like it's coming true. You know, with with the the Trump in charge sort of situation. So it's um. It is definitely worrisome.
1: <laughs> what, do we do, what do we do about that? How do we mobilize support for something that should be seemingly obvious for everyone and yet is against all of our internal best needs or the easy solutions that we want?
0: Yeah, I think, again, one of my uh, things that I'm interested in, and I'm actually currently, the book I'm writing now is it's not science fiction, but it's really delving into this whole thing with political corruption. And the fact that there's so much dark money, I think that underlies so many of our issues where somebody wants to get rid of this regulation or that regulation. And when you have corporations too close to the politicians, it just really creates uh, a catalyst for things happening that shouldn't be happening. Because what you really want is what the government is for, is to keep us safe. And that's the mandate keep us safe, both externally and internally. And so, if they're not following that mandate, there's some reason they're not following it. And that's, I think, it's because there's too much money going in from corporations or, you know, wherever it's coming in from, which primarily corporations, that are controlling the legislation. So, and you've got to have some regulation, you want to have reasonable regulation where it's not stifling stuff but you have to have enough regulation that you're keeping the citizenry safe.
1: Completely agree. I was listening to a podcast earlier, and they were arguing about unions and regulations. And it was interesting that the guy who had actually been in a union was very much, well, you know, unions are the reason you have work hours, and you have a livable wage, and you have you have weekends and all of these benefits. And the people that were arguing against were the ones who were arguing purely based off of theory. And I feel like a lot of times when you get into an argument, you have the libertarian argument that's pretty much just theory-based and never been tested. And that's kind of the, the U.S. leans much more towards that than a lot of the rest of it. It's just interesting yeah. That the, the proven way that seems to work better is not the way that theory says. And people will still stick with a theory as opposed to going with what seems to be better.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you have to have uh, the unions... Uh, versus the corporations create a balance of power. And if you don't have a balance of power, then you have issues. Either, you know, you can have the unions can be too powerful and uh, create issues uh, that way, or you can have corruption, of course, within any entity, and you can have corruption. And they have had with the unions, but you want a balance of that. And basically, you know, back in the 80s, when they started outsourcing the basically manufacturing, they in effect killed a lot of the unions and uh, it created a, a, a problem with balance. And so you had uh, too many people that were getting laid off because they didn't have the uh, safety net that the unions and just having work uh, create.
1: Oh god, speaking of a safety net, you're, you're a writer. I guess you have a real job as well besides just being a writer, so you have some type of health insurance
0: yeah i mean through my husband actually <laughs> yeah. i mean i do i consult but yeah health Hils- okay.
1: insurance is through his work <laughs> okay i was gonna i was gonna say just from the even if it's the 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 safety net problem is something the u.s really struggles with in terms of entrepreneurs writers self-employed folks creatives yeah. without that without that safety net it's nearly impossible to to survive just with the cost of health care and rising yeah exactly here. yeah so what technology or trend are you most excited about these days and why, Karen?
0: Um, I The thing that I keep my eye on is the, I'm hoping, crossing fingers, that within the next five to 10 years, we will have viable nuclear fusion as an energy source. Um, it is something that a lot of countries are working on right now. There's a huge, Um, nuclear fusion uh, power plant that's being built in uh, Southern, uh, excuse me, Southern France called the Eater Project.
1: Oh, yeah, we had that director on.
0: Yeah. And that one, of course, that's a sort of a world consortium for that particular one. But the U.S. has uh, facilities. China is uh, working on it. Uh, Russia, Britain, there's a bunch of them. But what's the most fascinating thing is, and this is always something that when you start seeing private investors putting their money into more of a sort of non-governmental uh, projects, that's interesting. And that's telling you that there are, have been some huge uh, leaps forward. And nuclear fusion is the opposite of what we have now it's basically you're taking two hydrogen atoms and you're fusing them and in that process you're releasing energy and you create a helium atom from that. And so if we can do that, then we can get off totally off fossil fuels and move into something that would be able to give us enough energy for manufacturing, going to Mars, uh going to the moon, you know, all those things. It would uh, solve a lot of our problems. And it's doesn't have the problem with uh, nuclear waste like the fission uh, process does now. And it's basically non-emitting. So that's really, you know, I keep watching it and and um, really fascinated with it. Uh, and it sounds like within the next five to 10 years, they're going to have some of the first real power plants not not saying that they're going to be functioning but they're going to be hopefully getting energy out rather than just just putting energy into the process
1: i'm super hopeful i'm a little skeptical just based off of some people i've talked to i feel like people in the industry you kind of get one of two either it's a yes everything's going to work and we'll save the world or it's well if you actually look at it it's, we're not sure if it's ever going to work and it's it's one of those things where if we pull it off, it is so critical to humanity's future. We yeah, could, we could also create a black hole that kind of eats us all apart. So that's a, a whole, a whole nother a whole other. I don't know about that, but <laughs> a whole nother can of worms, depending on the star we create. But technology is always a double-edged oh, sword. You know? <laughs> yeah
0: all go down together yeah, let's, a, <laughs>
1: let's flip a coin we got climate change anyways and it's all going to happen in a 100 years and we're screwed and headed to antarctica so we might as well
0: <laughs> i have the blueprint to go
1: <laughs> how, how do you think about unintended consequences so it, uh, that's a lot of what sci-fi is about. That's what we're talking about. That's what pretty much everything comes down to is there's a regulation. There's a new technology. There's something and everything changes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the unattending consequences is huge. Um, and I, I that's one of the things that I tell people that when I start a story, you know, it's like I put a, a, a pebble or a ball on a, a piece of board and, and let it go and just see where it goes.
1: So you're a pantser.
0: A what? Uh yeah, I'm uh I don't outline. I don't have all that. What I do is I want to see where it goes. I mean, I have like an overview of kind of where I'm going to a certain extent, but I I kind of want it to uh, uh sort of b- become alive and see where it goes because that's the thing about it. When you start saying one thing, oh, this is what I'm going to do, and then you have all of a sudden you realize, no, I'm going to have some uh uh Russian a mafia uh, group that's gonna try to come in and and steal the election and take control over antarctica you know that's that's the kind of thing it's like that could happen i mean you know that's the kind of stuff and could then happen. And,
1: you just got the you just got the location wrong
0: <laughs> well, you know talk about all of the above you know i mean they're
1: <laughs> but they're.
0: Yeah, but the one of the things that uh, uh these different countries would be interested in again is all the raw materials that would be uh available uh all of a sudden on Antarctica that um would be in- worth an incredible amount of money. So, you know, I mean I think unintended consequences, you know, um uh, some of the things that, you know, the AI and uh virtual reality Uh, Those types of things is uh, we have no idea exactly how that's going to work, how it's going to affect society. And, you know, I think that we have to try to humanize as much as we can and kind of have a balance there. One of the the issues that uh, in the first book that I wrote, uh, Spider Sat Beside Her, is part of it was these clash of cultures Uh, when you have these migrations of different societies because of the global, uh, uh, the sea level rise. But the other thing is clash of cultures between humans and technology. And we have to be mindful of that, you know, as we create technologies that we don't sort of go into a place that we don't really want to go, that's not comfortable for people. And so that was one of the things that, um,
1: you mean Pandor- you mean Pandora's at- box? <laughs>
0: yeah, especially things. One of the the uh, scenes I have in in that book is issues with people who may be uh, prone to addiction. I mean, virtual reality that could be huge with these people. And so I create in this this one character, and he actually has an entire suit that he puts on, and it's he literally completely goes into this virtual reality and one of the things that happens is he falls he creates this virtual woman and falls in love with this virtual woman and the main character and is arguing with him it's like wait a minute you know this is not real and he and he's saying well yeah but she's beautiful she's wonderful and it's like of course she is and 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 then uh lowry this character says well you know what are you gonna do you know have a baby and all of a sudden his eyes light up and can you imagine a virtual baby that you just put away when it starts crying it's it's like
1: like being a a grandparent it's perfect
0: (laughs) and it's like yeah well i guess it'll you know help the uh, population growth
1: (laughs) yeah there there are certain technologies like that where it is it is super terrifying. Virtual reality, especially, just with the number of people you see walking around locked into their phones.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: When yeah. It, when, or the number of people that are in prisons. There's three million in the US. If you could be in a prison or if you could be Kanye West in VR, a lot of people would opt for being Kanye West, I imagine. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. Today's episode is brought to you guys by NetSuite by Oracle. I know i personally struggle with staying on top of business expenses and that's even running a small team i can't even imagine some of the large organizations out there that's why those guys trust netsuite by oracle the world's number one cloud business system that offers a full picture of your business everything one place finance inventory hr customers you name it no more guessing no more worrying run your business like it's a business companies like ring hint bowl and branch and over 19,000 others trust NetSuite because if you don't have your house in order, it's real hard to build it bigger. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive their free guide, The 7 Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com disruptors. That's D-I-S-R-U-P-T-O-R-S, netsuite.com disruptors to get that free guide, The 7 Key Strategies to Crushing Growth for Your Business. I struggle with managing the numbers. You struggle with managing the numbers. And there's so much more that goes into running a business. Make sure you've got that top-level overview. NetSuite.com slash Disrupt. And now, on with the episode. What is the, what is the role of sci-fi in dictating public perception and public policy? I
0: really think that what it can do is similar, again, back to Margaret Atwood and The Handmaid's Tale, is it puts a magnifying glass on some particular item or some multiple of items. And so it takes it almost into uh, a place where you can see it. You know, it's so hard, you know, because you have these disparate things going on here and, and there. But if, if you, it kind of does the 30,000 foot um, viewpoint of what would what ha- what happen if you had all these social issues or, or something uh, going on. And that's what I'm more interested in, in science fiction is the social commentary, the human condition. Uh, and it it really does play a role. So uh, Science fiction can play a role, or some people call it, uh, if it's near future uh, fiction, they call it speculative fiction. Uh, and I th- I th- that actually is a good definition uh, because it sort of tells the reader this is a going to be usually a near fiction. Uh, excuse me, near future uh, fiction, and it's usually has social commentary. So it sort of gives them like a warning, warning. You
1: know? <laughs> yeah, this, <laughs> this might this a- might make you uncomfortable because exactly. this is probably going
0: to happen. Right, right. It's not sort of like Star Wars or, yeah. or something, which is more uh, futuristic um, space type things that it's somewhere else.
1: Yeah, speculative is much more what I write. By the way, if you guys are interested, com. you can grab some free stuff over there. Check it out. Yeah, but check- yeah, I, I totally agree. That's the, that's the interesting area in my opinion. That's kind of what this podcast is, is speculating on the future with the world's smartest folks. So we, we speculated a little on what's good. What about what's bad outside of climate change? What has you most worried and why when it comes to technology and trends?
0: Um, uh- and if, go, if I go, went really near future, I would say misinformation in our social media and particularly, you know, with the next election coming up. So that is something that we need to somehow get control over. And, you know, I'm not knowing which is the way to go with that uh, besides just, you know, the last couple of months shutting off all your social media uh, outlets. But besides that is, uh, and I think that's one of the things that uh, in in your writing, the uh, sort of genetic engineering, I think that is uh, something that could be both terrifying and uh, helpful in two different ways. I mean, one of the things that uh, on Antarctica that I was doing is, you know, there would have to be uh, genetically engineered plant life more than likely. To be able to grow in that environment, you do have uh, you know, the dark time, even though I've set up a series of uh, satellite based light sources, reflective sources to try to get additional light. But you know that, that, so, so in some ways, you could have some genetic engineering that might be helpful in, to as we go forward, particularly in farming, you know, there may be some things that we can do that wouldn't take as much water, for instance, wouldn't need so much fertilizer or whatever. There's certain things that that might be helpful. But then there's the whole human element of God knows what's going to happen when they start genetically engineering humans. And of course, they've already started in the uh, scientist in China.
1: Oh, I, I assume a lot of other places as well. They're, yeah, yeah, just aren't yeah, they're, talking they're, it.
0: Right, right. They've got them some in some room somewhere.
1: <laughs> but there's there is just so much promise. Trees that consume more carbon dioxide. You can wipe out yeah. malaria-based mosquitoes. Say goodbye to the coronavirus. It's it's kind of crazy to consider that we. Are, I think we're moving into the the century of synthetic biology, where we will. Begin to become the masters of life and everything there is to do with it. Now we may not be good at it, but we will be the ones who will be painting with paintbrushes. And
0: yeah, I think it's a definite d- double-edged sword.
1: Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Yeah, and with all double-edged swords, you've got to you got to cut something off before you realize you need, <laughs> you need to slow down a little bit. Measure twice, cut once. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be headed in that direction, but we can always cross our fingers and hope. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely agree with uh, the information. I don't really know how to handle misinformation going forward with the upcoming elections, going forward just with society in general. Everything's so polarizing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I hope we can get out of this particular uh, era sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of people. We'll have to see. There's so many things, so many things are based off of the economy. If the economy is good, then everything's good. So it's, um, it's tough. We'll see. Well, we'll they see think it
0: it's good. Yeah, it's, it's all, it's, they've been told it's good. Yeah, we're
1: pouring we're pouring steroid based rocket fuel on it. It better be freaking good. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit more before we start to wrap things up about potential political ramifications of climate change just from the thought processes of what you went through to create the books what are some of the bigger issues that you thought about and that you included or didn't include that you think not enough people are talking about
0: since my sort of gig is this sort of political social that was what i primarily looked at now of course my uh, the, the melt series which is the name of the trilogy the melt trilogy is after the fact of course of the melting. So there isn't sort of let's put the 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 genie back in the the bottle scenario. So these people are just coping with it. And the and as you know the uh, oceans come up, they lose land. And so that's it's not only just people moving, that even the countries who have land are losing it. And so that's – and, and that, not to say that people aren't thinking about that already, but you, you have to – when you squeeze the time frame, it becomes just more, um, uh, more of an issue. And the, the other things that you would look at when you have climate change are you would have to move or have issues with particular you know, plants. People talk about, okay, where are you, you going to grow your coffee and all that? I actually think that you would probably move that type of thing. You may not be able to have it in the same place you have it. And again, you would probably have to geoengineer, excuse me, um, uh, genetically engineer maybe a new type of coffee plant that would uh, be able to uh, live in a different type of climate. But that's really what I think that one of the things, too, that I was interested in is like, how would you create a world or a continent where you don't are not using uh, any kind of artificial chemicals, things like that. I mean, that's, that's something that we need to think about. Where do we want to be in 100 years? You know, and, and I realize that you can't exactly have a planned society, but I think if we could kind of come up with, this is what we want to have. You know, let's figure out, uh, we don't want pesticides, so what do we do then? And one of the things that, you know, mother of invention, you know, I create uh, and, and actually since I have wrote that book, I've heard of people uh, starting to create, construct these robots that do the weeding. And so you don't have to have pesticides if you have, uh, you know, like, like a constant uh, uh, robotic uh, tractor or, or some sort of a utensil that will go out and, and get rid of the weeds. And it completely obliterates the need for having pesticides or, or weed killers, anyway, out on in your fields. So everything could be organic.
1: Do you think most people would push or agree for something like that? I think that that would be important and valuable. But I feel like there's not actually near enough support for something like that. If anything, a lot of scientists... Are saying that um, pesticides and genetically modified food isn't problematic. I think the pesticides are problematic getting into your stomach. That seems pretty straightforward. You don't want to be eating pesticides, but yeah, it seems like that's not the way the world is moving so much.
0: I don't know, but the, I, I don't think people want pesticides. I really I think putting that type of chemical I think they prefer in, not to have into it the the soil or into the plants. Yeah, sorry.
1: Sorry, little lag. Technology's great until it isn't, right? I think <laughs> I think they'd prefer not to have it, but I think right they wouldn't prefer it that much over having their coffee or having to spend the extra that twenty five cents at Post Melt Starbucks.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully, if you uh, do it to scale, you know, if you uh, figure out how to get these and, and robotics. Uh, again, is another item of sort of a two sides of an issue there. You know, you could have bad aspects of robotics and good aspects of robotics. But I think, you know, robotics are going to be the way to go. Uh, that's going to be what's happening. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I think that, that in 100 years, we're going to be just inundated with all types of robotics doing everything and that's that again that's sort of the good news and the bad news because what's that how is that going to affect society how is that going to affect
1: employment and things like that i want three bold contrarian type either predictions or possibilities from you predictions around the future or possibilities of really interesting places to start businesses?
0: I'm hoping that we get a better control over our population and become more sustainable. I mean, that's, uh, I don't know if that's a prediction. Um, I, You know, I think that you're going to see uh, robotics to really take off. And again, you're, you know, are you going to have uh, uh, riots where people are trying to destroy these Robots because they're taking their jobs like uh, that happened uh, at the start of the uh, Industrial Revolution. You had the the Luddites that um, basically destroyed all of these um, mechanical uh, looms and things that were being created. So you could potentially have the the robot riots, you know, that uh, would be happening. And, of course, that would be a bad thing. I do think as far as one prediction is that we are going to be going to the moon uh, and mining and all that type of thing. And um, I don't know if you've read The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, but I think that's a fantastic, it's by Robert Heinlein, predictor of what might happen if you had a colony up there, and uh, particularly if they riot against their
1: masters on Earth.
0: And what was the other thing you were saying that are asking me
1: interesting business cases. Mm. Uh,
0: one thing that I think is going to be, now it's looking back a little bit, <laughs> but it's going to be a case study. A major case study is the whole Boeing uh, uh, debacle um, of how not to create uh, software, and and uh, uh, you know the whole uh, thing where. You think software is going to be the savior and the software wind up killing, you know, hundreds of people. As far as a new business, you know, I I think you're going to be talking something in the robotics uh, is going to be, you know, one of their major new businesses. And, of course, the uh, synthetic biology, Uh, those are going to be two super
1: growth areas uh, in the world for sure. So robot riots? Do you think we would literally let people starve <laughs> if we could just afford to do their jobs with robots?
0: Um, I don't know if you know uh, the uh, author uh, Lou Sixine or Sixine Lou. He he uh, actually writes. Uh, uh, he has his um, English author name. He wrote uh, a an article, and basically, his premise is that the rich people are going to have robots. And then they're going to have sort of these pet humans. And who knows what's going to happen with the rest of them? You know, they I, I really don't know. You know, it could be that we get um, people migrating to places like the moon where maybe robots, there'll be a combination. But unfortunately, I uh, uh, I think that actually robots are going to be more expensive and the humans are going to be disposable. <laughs> <So> it's, <laughs> it's not. Uh, it is a scary future, actually. It really is. And like I said, we're going to have to figure out a balance to make it not be horrible.
1: <laughs> it's been this. This has been this week in dystopia. That is, <laughs> that is what every sci-fi and speculative fiction author kind of gets into. I know yeah. that and I, when I started this podcast, I wanted to present a better future, a better vision of what the future could be, because Hollywood, sci-fi books, everything was dystopian. And I wanted to be high and mighty and thought, well, the only way you can create a better future is by envisioning it. But now, since getting into writing, since writing a couple of sci-fi books, which hopefully you guys are gonna check some of them out and you'll see in bestseller lists very soon. <laughs> but in in all seriousness Dystopia and problems are what sell, but it's also what creates the guardrails. You go to the bowling alley and the little kids get the little guardrails on so that they can have a better job avoiding the little lanes. And I think without sci-fi, without things to scare us shitless, we're going to head into those gutters, so to speak. We'll have more gutter balls. So I think having these miserable conversations about why the future may suck actually <laughs> may help us make the future better in the process.
0: I agree. I agree.
1: Mm -hmm. I want one thing from you before we wrap this up, Karen. And that's if you had to leave people with one thing, a quote, a call to action before you tell them where to find you, what would it be and why?
0: I think that what we have to do, each individual, is figure out their relationship with the Earth. And it may seem, you know, sounding uh, high and mighty or all that. But a lot of times it's just, okay. you know, let's recycle this piece of metal. This piece of metal came out of the earth. It's been you know, uh, changed into something else, but let's just recycle it. You know, I mean, it's just simple things like that that each individual can do in their own lives that one person at a time, you can really make a change. And I think that's what we have to do is just think about what we do. Think about where we want to be, uh, like I said, in, in 10 years and 50 years and 100 years. And make those changes now, step by step
1: by step. If you set your New Year's resolution to lose 10 pounds, you're going to think twice about those New Year's cookies that you've got sitting on the table. <laughs> we got we to gotta have some goals. We got to <laughs> think about where we want to get to, guys, because it is those small little decisions each and every day which change everything. Exactly. Karen, thanks for coming. Where can people learn more about you and what you do?
0: Uh, Go to kelanning.com. It's all there.
1: And of course, guys, links and everything, in the show notes, disruptors.fm. If you're interested, check out her work. It really is some interesting stuff. And if you're interested in the two post-Gene Editing Society books that I have coming out soon, mattwardwrites.com. You can grab First Five Chapters free over there and get some bonus discounted offers when it all goes live matt ward writes.com thanks for coming on karen
0: thanks a lot i really appreciate your time
1: thanks for tuning in guys and if you can buy land on antarctica do it now (laughs) just make sure you've got the cryonics to survive we'll talk to you guys later (laughs) cheers thanks a lot be the change you want to see in the world that's something i strive towards and fail towards every single day. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you think the world could benefit from conversations like this, the greatest compliment you can give us is referring to the Disruptors to a friend or talking about us on social media. Please take 30 seconds to do so. It would mean the world to us and if we're lucky, help us build towards a better world. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for helping us spread the message and have a great day. If you want more of the Disruptors, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to disruptors.fm where you'll find tons of audio and video interview stories with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. You can also follow me on Twitter at MattWardIO. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review on iTunes at disruptors.fm/slash iTunes to help more people discover the podcast and help us make a bigger impact.